Welcome to the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and I'm a former doctor turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Each week, I interview some of the best minds on the planet on the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. Come take this journey with me. Excuses are over. It's time to live. I'm doing less and making more money. I'm living more and working less. And I never realized that that was a possibility because of what I was taught growing up. On the outside and even on paper, credentials are so impressive. How I presented myself, the clothes, the hair, the whole thing, all right, the pedigree, all impressive. But on the inside of me, I was nothing. What kept me truly alive was that I knew someday I was going to be well enough, be capable enough to share my story in order to help others heal. Okay, before we jump into this interview, I want to invite you to be considered for my 2019 Traveling Mastermind. So go to workhardplayhardmastermind.com and fill out the application and we'll jump on a call to see if you're a great fit. This year, we'll be in Boston doing lots of cool things like training with Tom Brady's trainer, Alex Guerrero. In the middle of the year, we'll be heading to Monaco doing things like vintage car rides through the French Riviera. And then we're going to wrap the year in Florence, Italy, doing things like truffle hunting and hot air ballooning over Florence. Look, Life is all about fulfillment, and I really try and walk the walk. So if you are looking to be part of our tribe of 28 high-achieving entrepreneurs that are in the six- and seven-figure range, fill out your application at workhardplayhardmastermind.com to be considered. So think of the mastermind as having two parts. The first is the trip itself. And the second part is what goes on over the four days within the mastermind. Our group of 28 entrepreneurs will help you brainstorm and accelerate what you want to achieve in 2019. And we'll do that through a variety of different exercises, brainstorming activities, breakout sessions, goal setting sessions, you know the drill. So go to workhardplayhardmastermind.com, fill out an application, and we'll jump on a call to see if you're a fit. All right, let's jump into today's episode. What's up, everybody? This is Rob Murgatroyd, and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. This episode features Tiffany Carter. You can find her on Instagram and elsewhere at projectme underscore with underscore Tiffany. Tiffany Carter takes the mystery out of making big money while doing something you love. She uses a magnetic combination of her clear-cut communication style that she developed as a TV news broadcaster for NBC and CBS, her business savvy and proven strategies as a multi-millionaire entrepreneur, and her intuitive ability to connect with women on a deeper level to uncover what's blocking them from achieving their dream. So look, here's the thing. Tiffany is absolutely one of the most interesting. I'm going to put her in the top 10 interesting people that I've ever spoken to. First of all, she squeezed this interview in while she was about to go on stage or maybe just got off stage in uh, in Maui, could not find a place to do it and went into the hotel's business center and just did the freaking interview um, around a bunch of people. So you're going to hear noise. Um, there's just no way around it. But 
the content is there. You're going to learn a lot. She has a story that is just absolutely amazing. A lot of people come from nothing and make money, but she had the reverse. She came from really, really fabulous wealth and all of the challenges that come with it. And as a kid that always wanted to go to Harvard and always wanted to have parents that were wealthy, um, she schooled me on it. And she realized that you know, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And we got into it. You know, her, um, I think it was her mom went to Harvard. Um, her mom is a very successful entrepreneur, but there were a lot of challenges that came with that relationship. And we dug deep on what that was like. There's, this, this story sounds like a book. So you're going to get a ton out of it. There's a lot of information here for you. Um, a lot of people have been asking me about private coaching. I'm working with a select few people that are ready to make a change in their life, not thinking about it, but actually ready. If you fall into that category, go to workhardplayhardcoaching.com, complete an application, and we'll jump on a call to see if we're a good fit. Okay, please enjoy this conversation I had with Tiffany Carter. Tiffany, welcome to the show. What's up, Rob? You know what? Our paths have been crossing through lots of different people, but we have never officially met or have spoken to each other. So I am super excited for you making the time all the way from Hawaii. And I think if I understood correctly from your assistants, just stepping off the stage from your own, uh, from a mastermind or your own mastermind or what's going on there? So first off, yes, we have so many, it's so funny how life works, right? We have a lot of mutual friends in common. And then we, we finally crossed paths, like when the timing was right. But yeah, I'm here in Maui speaking at an executive mastermind. So one of the things that I do um, to monetize basically my life and my love for travel, which I know you and I share that passion, is I will speak at corporate masterminds, so executive retreats. I don't know if you've ever hosted one or been on one, but they can be kind of stale, right? So it's fun for me to go and speak and teach at these executive retreats where people walk away and they're like, oh my God, I actually like felt like I was on vacation, right? I wasn't just sitting here nodding off and being bored. So I haven't, um, I haven't taught yet. That's coming up in a couple hours here because it's much earlier here than it is where you're at. So it's, it's exciting and it's a great way to be able to get paid to travel, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That absolutely makes perfect sense. I love, uh, I love what you're doing. I've scanned, uh, I've scanned your Instagram, and I have a million questions because that's how we do things these days. Everything is based on the IG. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna start off talking about some formative years questions with you. If you're open to discussing those years, um, you have uh, shared how your environment wasn't the greatest. Can you talk about what that was like for you and maybe share some of the more significant lessons that you learned from it? I know that you were you were making cocktails at a young age and you were having to clean a car with a Q-tip and lots of really, you know, interesting things. So maybe you can kind of just speak to that part of your life. So obviously you've listened to the podcast I did on um, on our friend Chris Harder's show. Um, yeah, and, and I, I do share very openly about my childhood. It took me a lot of healing, inner work, and a crap ton of therapy to be able to do that. But that had, was my goal all along. 
when I was doing that deep healing work from being raised in an abusive environment, what kept me truly alive was that I knew someday I was going to be well enough, be capable enough to share my story in order to help others heal. So my whole principle is, I'm sure you've heard like the famous quote, like hurt people hurt others. Well, my take on the quote is heal people, heal millions. And that's always been deeply ingrained in there. So I was sexually abused from the ages of 11 to 21 years old. That statement alone is pretty shocking to people. My mom was aware of the abuse. Um, In fact, my mom actually took me to stores to buy inappropriately sexy outfits to wear on these dates. So you can imagine what that did to my self-worth. I was confused. I thought that if you cared about somebody, you liked somebody, you loved somebody, um, whether it was a teacher, whether it was a friend, whether it was, you know, a boy, whatever, that you were supposed to do sexual things. So I was labeled as also the class slut at school. So I wasn't safe at home. It wasn't like school was a safe haven where there's a lot of people, you know, who are abused in the home. School was their safe haven. School was actually worse because my name was written on the bathroom wall. Tiffany's a slut. You know, I couldn't sit at the cool kid table. Um, it was brutal. It, re- it was really br- brutal. And then on top of that, right, when I did try to reach out to share what was happening, I was, I was met with people just calling my mom anyway. I was, my mom was a um, big donor, you know, like a, you know, school donation, that kind of thing. Basically, she wrote a lot of checks. So, I, you know, I can't speak for every school system, but at least the one I was in, they weren't going to piss the person off who wrote the checks. So I had anywhere I turned the few times I was brave enough to try to seek help. It ended in more abuse for me. Were your parents wealthy? Did, did you, did you come from a very wealthy family? I did. We were the second wealthiest family in an already very affluent area. So in an affluent suburb. So we were the second wealthiest. I grew up in a home that had two full size gourmet kitchens had two full bars, like I'm talking restaurant level bars, a wine cellar that's as big as most people's bedrooms. And this is the interesting part for people because a lot of people will see me you know, on Instagram or they see me on stage or whatever. And they're like, well, of course she has a great money mindset. You know, of course she has abundance. Of course she, you know, that was easy for her to make millions because someone either gave it to her or she was raised wealthy. So therefore, you know, wealth comes easy. Well, no. Wealth to me was tied to bad, bad things, right? Because of what was happening in my house. So on the outside, you know, I had, I know you have an adorable daughter and it's like on the outside, you know, I had the cute, you know, the girl, with the cute clothes. I got the ballet lessons, right? I got picked up and dropped off at school from a driver. I had all these things on the outside that looked really, really great. But, you know, I always would say to myself, even as a kid, like, I would go to my friends' houses who had who were much less fortunate financially. And I would I remember very vividly to this day going, God, I would trade, you know, having that Olympic sized pool, you know, the big jungle gym, like I would trade that any day to have, you know, live in, you know, a trailer park or whatever, if I, you know, if I could have that nurturing and loving environment instead. Like that's how sophisticated my mind was even in middle school. 
So in some weird ways, it seemed like you had to combat your money programming um, because of the way you were raised with money and the associations you had to money. Oh, completely. That's why I'm, part of why I'm so passionate about teaching it. Because one of the top things I hear people say, whether it's through, you know, like DMing me on Instagram or, you know, the people I work with in my private coaching or my group membership coaching is they'll say, well, I was raised poor. That's why I'm in debt now. That's why I can't get ahead because my parents overspent or we never had money. In fact, my fiance was raised really poor. Right. And he was always told, you know, we can't afford it. It's like, yes, that's one type of thing that can come out of developing your limiting mindset, money mindset, but there's one that's less often talked about, which is people who've come from, they don't have to have come from like an extremely wealthy family like mine. It could have been, you know, upper middle class or, you know, just a middle class where you weren't, you know, without, you had a, like a, you know, you had a nice life, right? And there's things that can happen in the home or phrases that people said. So here's the other thing, Rob, and I know you'll totally get this being a long, long, long time entrepreneur like myself. I was raised by two entrepreneurs. So on top of all of this, my mom went to Harvard, hardcore entrepreneur, very, very impressive businesswoman. And she worked seven days a week, 12 to 14 hours a day. And all I said to myself, all growing up, you know, well into college, even I said, I will never be an entrepreneur. She made it look like hell. And she also said things like, if you want to be successful in this world, you have to give an arm and a leg. You have to, um, bleed, you know, bleed, sweat and tears and all those lines. So I got just different types of programming, right? It might not be as what is more common, like we can't afford it, right? It was more like, hey, dangling of the carrot, you want this life, you're going to have to be miserable and almost die for it. You know, you and I um, have a similar type of background. Mine was uh, physical abuse. And um, I was asked by a friend, you may know her. Do you know Christine Hassler? I don't know her personally, no, but I know who she is. Okay. I was, okay. So Christine, for those listening, is a coach and uh, she and I were in uh, Greece and I, I don't remember how the, the subject came up, but she asked me, she said, do you trust yourself? And that question plagued me for a long time. And I know you've spoken about this yourself would you say that at this point in your life, you're trusting yourself? And was there a period of time, if the answer is yes, was there a period of time where you didn't? Oh my God, Rob. I can completely relate to you. That I, not only didn't I trust myself, I was really over-trusting of others. So it was that I didn't trust myself because why would I trust myself? Can I swear on your show, Rob? I'm guessing I can. Yeah, okay, fuck yeah. Love you. Okay. So I thought I was a piece of shit. So why I wouldn't trust a piece of shit. So therefore, I wasn't about to trust myself. What did I know? I was, you know, I was the top foot. I was a piece of shit. So what did I know? So in turn, on top of that, I then made other people almost like my higher power, like idolized people. I would put way too much trust in others because they are so much better than me because I'm a nothing. Therefore, I took other people's words, advice, direction, recommendations as gold, like blind faith to the point where you can imagine how that led me, right? We can, and I did this most all my life, Rob, until about four and a half years ago. So that's how I lost 
had a million dollars by the time I was 30. Within three months, it was almost all gone. And it was because of this behavior of having blind faith in people, not knowing how to check in with like, you know, those fighty senses, that intuition, and not thinking like, you know, always saying to myself in my head, what do you know? You don't really know anything, right? So that's where it went for me. You know what's so interesting about that? Did you say that you were uh, you broke up a little bit uh, in the earlier question? Did you say that your mom went yeah. to Harvard? You know, this is this. You're going to laugh at this. All I wanted to be around because my dad was a truck driver, and we drew. You know, we grew up in in basically the projects in Queens in New York. And all I wanted to be, if I could just go to boarding school and have parents that went to Harvard, then my life would have been perfect. And I laugh at this because that is your life. Can you describe for people what boarding school was like and maybe even tell me what you liked most and what you liked least about it? Isn't this funny? This happens to me when I interview people too. It's like some of my own beliefs, whether they're current or from the past, come to surface. And it's like, oh my God, I'm actually like hearing hearing the truth right here. So yeah, I mean, that was my life. Both, I mean, my parents were divorced, but my dad, you know, my dad went to a prestigious school as well. My mom was one of the first women at Harvard, you know, went to Harvard Business School. So again, on the outside, incredibly, incredibly impressive. I was sent to a boarding school. One, it was a sense of, um, it was more of a game and a sense of control for my mom. But on the positive side, it was because I was going down naturally a really bad path because of being abused. But of course, no one wanted to look at that. So they just blamed it on a school system, which by the way, was like a top-notch school system. We're in a wealthy area, right? So they just- Where'd you grow up? I grew up in North Shore, Chicago. So yeah, so North Shore, you know, North Shore suburbs, basically like for the listeners, most of you guys, I'm sure have heard of Calabasas, like the Kardashians, which is where I live now. So basically, it was like the Calabasas of Chicago, you know, is, is where I grew up. So I got sent to um, boarding school. I think now the school, it's something insane, Rob. It's like 65000 a year. When I went, I think it was $25,000 a year. So I was there with like real money, right? Like generations and generations of money. And it was just it was fascinating. And to answer your question, the good part is the education component of a prep school, as they also call them, is that the discipline of being in a high school that operates like a college format was amazing for me academically. I mean, these were top-notch teachers, small, you know, small classrooms, you know, all the things that, you know, you're paying for, right? Um, you know, top uh, coaches for sports. You know, that kind of thing. We even had like, which was funny, we even had like mindset coaching and stuff like that. It's very progressive, even at that time. The downside, oh, also the drugs were good. That was another plus. <laughs> People had more money. Well, I, wanna, I, act, I actually want to talk to you about that because I, I know that when you were, you went to business school. Well, okay, finish your thought and then I'm, I'm going to jump in because I have a couple more questions around Sure, that. okay. So the negative side is... There really weren't too many negatives about going. It was more emotionally. Most of us kids that were there kind of felt like we were being, I don't want to go as far as saying abandoned, abandoned, but it was kind of like discarded. Like 
it was almost you were being left to fend for the wolves. So we were being sent to college, but we were 14, 15 years old. You know, so it was inappropriate level of having to grow up, but without any discussion or communication about it. So there's a lot of common themes with the kids I went to school with from these wealthy families. It was like, you deal with our children, you educate them and get them into a top college and then send them back to us. Like, we don't want to be bothered. That was definitely um, a common theme. And you could see that showing up in the kids' behaviors, you know, like a lot of acting out, sneaking out, drugs, that kind of thing. Are you still in contact with your parents um, and are they still wealthy? My dad died before my 25th birthday. And mm, sorry. thank you. And they were divorced when I was four. My mom's been married four times. So my dad was the man of few words, incredibly docile, almost, you know, and I'm not trying to disrespect him, but I call things like they are. I mean, he was a doormat, you know, like he ended up with a lot of very um, strong, borderline crazy women. And then he was, you know, he was the quiet one. He was a sweetheart, very loving. He never raised his voice to me. No abuse from him at all. But he also didn't fight for me, right? So you can have someone not show up for you and then be very sweet, right? And loving. Um, but he also didn't fight for me. He also didn't protect me. So my dad, you know, my dad was also an entrepreneur in a direct mail business, basically, which is the, which is the old-fashioned version, right, of digital marketing. Right. I mean, he did like the Sears catalog and all that, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So my dad um, never lost his wealth. But like most entrepreneurs, not every venture he got into was a was a slam dunk. So he definitely went up, down, up and down. But my what my dad did teach, teach me was about passive income. He taught me the power of, you know, the Warren Buffett, you know, way of compound interest and what that looks like. So my dad definitely didn't teach me how to do it, but I saw the value of it. My mom, yes, my mom is, I don't know how much my mom is worth because nothing's talked about, um, but my mom did sell her company. I don't know how much for, but that's also a game. A lot of times people who have money who aren't well use that to also be abusive, right? In a way, like play games with it, control games. I'm the only living relative period. There is no other relative. That's it. I'm an only child. My dad was an only child. My mom was an only child. Everyone else is dead. And I still have no idea anything about my mom's affairs whatsoever, but she's living a very lavish life. It's interesting. I feel like I'm, I'm watching a movie. I, I forgot that I was actually on a <laughs> podcast here. That's, I mean, like I literally was just like going down that road. Okay. This is really great for me because when I drive past Pepperdine and I'm in LA and I look at that campus, I say, I, I, I would have killed. I went to Queens College, right? It cost me $700 and I had to pay for it myself because my parents couldn't afford it. And when I look and I see Pepperdine and I see this, these rolling hills, you know, facing the ocean in Southern California, I'm like this, you know, whoever is in these walls are just, you know, privileged, happy children. But the reality is that you went to business school and you went to Pepperdine and things weren't perfect for you. But maybe you can speak to what that time of your life was like there. Sure. So 
first, I went to um, Emerson College in Boston, which is also is equivalent in price to Pepperdine, right? It's just in Boston. And I know you're a big, big fan of Boston. Um, I am. So I went to Emerson, lived in the back bay because I always wanted to be um, a TV broadcast journalist. So I didn't go into Pepperdine's executive MBA program until I was off, you know, off the air from being in TV. And I worked for a pharmaceutical company who actually paid for me to go there. But I, but to your point, Emerson is—it's the East Coast version, basically, of Pepperdine. I mean, you're living in one of the most expensive zip codes in the U.S., where there's a lot of kids in film and TV that would have only dreamed to have been able to go there, but they were having to go, like you said, like a local community college or whatever. There is a there is a privilege to be able to go to a top school, to go to Pepperdine, to go to Emerson, these top schools, especially when it's not a scholarship and you pay cash, right? There is there is a privilege to that. I got top-notch training. It was very impressive on my resume and my reels. That's why I think I got hired by NBC before I even graduated, because I came from such a top school. So yeah, on the outside, once again, right, this is a theme of most all my life. On the outside, and even on paper, credentials are so impressive. How I presented myself, very impressive. The clothes, the hair, the whole thing, all, right, the pedigree, so to speak, as people talk about, all impressive. But on the inside of me, I was nothing. I was a piece of shit. I didn't know anything. I was a fraud. This was all of the sod. I hated my life. I fantasized about ending my life. This is what went on every single day for me. Well, you you had a uh, you had a run there with raves and drugs and the wrong guys. And hindsight being twenty twenty, what do you think you were searching for? Love. I just wanted love. That love and affection, um, validation that I was good enough. You know, I I was I didn't. I didn't know how to give it to myself. I didn't even know that was an option. So I sought it and work in getting good grades and getting, you know, validation, you know, from my teachers, from employers. You know, I was always the best student, the best employee, the best intern, the best girlfriend, you know, the best play, to be blunt, right? I mean, that's, that's where I got that validation. So it was all external. There was nothing coming from within nothing coming spiritually. I had no spiritual practice whatsoever. In fact, I felt like, you know, God abandoned me too, right? So I didn't have any of that. I just kept seeking to feel to feel accepted and that I had a place in this world and that I was worthy. So I did a lot of people pleasing, over giving in order to, you know, get that sort of exchange from people. You mentioned earlier that you got a degree in journalism. What was it about journalism that caught your eye? When I was 13 years old, and I don't know if you know um, who this is, or I'm sure some of your listeners do, but a newscaster who is on Inside Edition for many years now, it's an entertainment program, Deborah Norville, came to speak. Yeah, I know Deborah. Yeah. She's the blonde. Yeah, she's the blonde. Exactly. Yeah. She came to speak um, at my school when I was in eighth grade. And she arrived in like a stretch limo. She was so poised, calm. Everyone got quiet. Like even, you know, 13-year-olds, right? Everyone got quiet and listened to her. No one made a peep. And I went, 
oh my God, I want that. Like, I want to be Deborah Norville. And I never let go of that goal and that dream of, you know, having that career. And, you know, I'm sure you guys can see like where that stemmed, where that stemmed from. I wanted to be heard and respected and admired and adored. And that's what I saw in her. And so again, I, I didn't know how to give that to myself. Right. So I was relentless on making sure I became a TV newscaster, which I did. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk to you about that. You know, it's interesting. Um, Deborah Norville is now 60 years old, which is so bizarre for me because I still remember her in my head that, uh, you know, she was much younger than that, but I guess we're all, we're all getting older. I mean, it's incredible. And she's from here in Georgia. I just Googled it while you were uh, talking. You worked for a while as a television news reporter and as an anchor. And it always struck me as how disconnected they seem to me, my, my opinion, from themselves. I'm curious to know what it felt like for you, because I know you went from being a reporter to being an anchor. Oh, God, Rob, you just nailed it. Complete most, I can't obviously speak for everyone, but most people you see on TV, you know, in, in the news business, they're seeking something similar to me to be heard, adored, respected, and they're, they're seeking it. They want that external validation. You're sitting at the desk. People automatically see you as an authority. You must know something, right? Seeking your value and importance. There is so much of that in the newsroom, you know, to this very day. It's insane. And I was and I was one of them. So you can imagine what the newsroom environment was like. It was catty. It was nasty. It was competitive, but not in a healthy competitive spirit, on a fear-based competitive spirit. I mean, it was it was rough. I mean, I had people put um like an itching type powder into my, you know, you have to use all the special makeup on TV. So in this like uh, powder makeup that I used. So then my whole face turned bright red and I couldn't, um, I couldn't go in and fill in at the desk that night. So they got to, I mean, I'm crazy stuff like that went on. This is crazy. Do you, is there any part of you that misses, I mean, obviously based on what you just said, probably not, but is there any part of you that misses that world at all? Well, first off, I, now that I am who I am today and have done the work, right. And have fallen in love with myself in a healthy way and have that self-worth. I miss the platform, right? The platform it gives, which is why, right? Which is why I do media opportunities. I love communication. I love talking. That's why I have a podcast project, me with Tiffany Carter, and I put so much love and time into it. That's why I listen to podcasts, you know, like yours. I love that medium of being able to do that, whether it's talk radio, podcasts, or on TV. So, the part I miss is the impact you can have. The stuff I don't miss is the is the bureaucracy behind the scenes, the a lot of the personalities that are involved, and what it what really happens in a newsroom. What what decides what makes the news and what edits happen to your script? It's not based on always facts per se. I can leave it at that. <laughs> Yeah, well, listen, I mean, if it bleeds, it leads, right? I mean, they're just, yeah, and no, I get it. You talked about Project Me. What is it and why'd you start it? 
So I've had my first business, TLC Enterprises, now for 11 years. That that business is a you know seven-figure-a-year business. Um, and that is specifically in the niche of pharmaceutical, uh, medical, like nutraceutical companies doing digital marketing and public relations for them. So I've built that for years. But for 10 years, I have had even the name Project Me, which stands for like, basically it resembles that we are ourselves. We're the most important project of, of our life, not grocery shopping, not buying houses, not helping, you know, our kids with everything that they need at all times, right? We have to put ourselves first. So that's where Project Me came along is you get your most exceptional life by putting yourself and focusing on yourself as number one on the right, you know, on the right thing. Certainly, I don't mean it in a narcissistic way, but I was not, I was not ready or prepared to create a personal brand until I was, which, you know, this Project Me is only a year old. I had the name. I obviously I had some of the skill sets required, you know, from being in PR and digital marketing, my, you know, ability to communicate, my ability, you know, my business savvy, all of that. But I wasn't ready because I knew um, I, I knew I had to be at a certain point to really put myself out there and be prepared for that emotionally and everything else that comes along with it. So it's my baby. It's the, it's, it's the brand that I was meant to create and designed to create and went through all the shit in order to create and, you know, help millions of people. Um, and that's why I always tell people and they're like, Oh my God, I should have started years ago. Maybe I'm too young to start. I'm too old to start. I'm like, no, you're starting right now for a reason. It's, there is a, there is divine timing. It's supposed to happen when it's supposed to happen. I love that. Do you enjoy what it is that you're doing now? Is this, in other words, is you've been through so many different things, you know, from from journalism to uh, the pharmaceutical world. And I know that you're still doing some of that now, but are you in a place in your life where you're living a much more fulfilled career than you ever have to date? Oh God, yes, and that's because I'm doing less. Just like, just like the name of your show, I'm doing less and making more money. I'm living more and working less. And I never realized that that was a possibility because of what I was taught growing up. I was taught like, you want to have, you want to have an enjoyable life, a life of luxury, be able to do trips, have a nice home, all these things. You know, you have to damn near kill yourself. That's what I was taught. So that's how I operated my whole life. And, you know, because of divine intervention, um, and, you know, basically, you know, I, I don't mean it lightly when I say it. I just use a lot of humor to get points across. But I mean, I was not going to be on this world anymore. I was that miserable and I had millions in the bank. I, I wanted to off myself. Did I make an attempt? No, but I had what they call suicidal ideation. I thought about it a lot. Um, and that was just, Rob, that was just four and a half years ago. And so it doesn't, you know, money can't buy happiness. Well, that, that is damn true. So I, I had a major rock bottom and, and had to rebuild myself. I chose to from the ground up. And now I work less than I've ever worked. I'm more abundant than I've ever been. And I can't stop talking about it because I want people to know <laughs> that most of us have gotten this wrong and corporations have taught us wrong. It's like a big lie, right? 
It is. I, I, actually, I want to move into that part of the show now. I want to talk about fulfillment and some of the things that you're doing because there's a lot of people listening right now that are still chasing, you know, the million dollars a year or the ten million dollars or whatever it is, and they're they're largely ignoring that other part of their life, which is uh, fulfillment. So, I'm going to ask you some questions that um, are going to be a little bit all over the place. So, just roll with me. Um, what is the new behavior or belief? in the last fill in the blank years or months that has significantly improved the quality of your life? That I am worthy of making millions just by being me and, and I'm good enough, whether I'm sitting on the couch, laying on the beach or working in my office. Uh, that's a great answer. Are there any positions or opinions in the last few years, or it could be way back. It doesn't have to be in the last few years that you've changed substantially where you've shifted your position or you've completely changed your mind? Oh God. Yeah, for sure. For sure. One of my big things is that I put it just exactly the name of my company, right? Project me with Tiffany Carter is that I put me first. Tiffany comes first. I was, I always thought that was selfish, right? Because that's what my mom looked like she did, right? But she was doing it in a narcissistic way. Putting me first, putting ourselves first is the least selfish thing we can do. That's my biggest shift. Love that. If you could spend one month anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Well, I, I know you're going to, you're going to get this answer really well, but it's Greece. Greece is my favorite country of all the countries I've been to. Amazing. Amazing. We're actually, uh, heading there next week. I've, I'm going to be in Monaco next week. Uh, yeah, next weekend, Monaco. And then the following week, we're going to be in Mykonos for three weeks. So, um, I agree with you. I absolutely love it. Okay. If you could go to only one restaurant before you die. Where would your last meal be? Ooh, I'm loving this question. I would have to say, hmm, got it. Depends what I'm in the mood for. I'm a, I love food, so and I'm hungry right now, so I have so mm -hmm. many different answers. But the first yep. thing that came to my mind is Nobu in Malibu because you get the view and you get amazing pieces of fish, and I love sushi. It's great. I went there with uh, our mutual friends, Chris and Lori, uh, last time I was in LA. It's spectacular. You're right. What's the thing that's rocking your world now that has absolutely nothing to do with your work in any way? My spiritual connection and me developing um, a closer relationship to, you know, what is my higher power? You know, who I see to be as God and really tapping into that spiritual practice every single day, I could cry thinking about it because, you know, I was spiritually bankrupt my entire life. So seeing evidence of God everywhere, like I even see it in our interview today. I mean, we have so many people in common now learning more about you and your background and me sharing like kind of the, you know, the truth of what that looked like with some of the beliefs you've had. I feel this is all a creation of divine. For sure. I mean, you know, none of that was bullshit. I mean, if you talk to any of my friends, they'll say, dude, you've got this unhealthy obsession with Harvard. You have this unhealthy obsession, you know, with the, uh, with wealthy families. And this is not, like, it is, it, it, it's just a fantasy. I mean, so yeah, you're right. I agree with you. So when you look back on your life now, what stands out for you most so far? 
it's kind of a downer, but it's my truth is how I abused myself after I was, you know, well out of the home, right? In my young adult life, my adult life, how I took over the abuse that was happening to me and did it to myself through um, having an, um, an extreme exercise addiction, being a workaholic, being with really unhealthy um, love relationships, friendships, um, clients. That's really, it's really amazing. I mean, if I, I, I couldn't, for me to write them all out, I'd be like a really long scroll. it's funny all right i want to move into the rapid fire round of the show answer as quickly or as slowly as you like it's basically a first thing that comes to mind rounds what would your friends say is one of your superpowers i have the amazing ability to bring in raw honesty into areas that people are too afraid to just tell it like it is What's one of the things you're afraid of right now? I do struggle with and I'm working on um, a fear of extreme success. Obviously, I've had great success. When I say extreme, I'm talking, you know, big being on big, big stages, not a fear of speaking, but a fear of, you know, going real big to the next level. Such an honest answer. I uh, I did a podcast with, uh, are you familiar with Lewis House? Yes. Did a podcast with Lewis and uh, he asked me, why are you so afraid of success? And it was like, it hit me right between the eyes. So I love that answer because most people are always chasing success, but they don't realize that you can also have an approach avoidance to it as well. So I love that. That's uh, that's great. Have you had an answer to uh, to help you with that? I've helped a lot of work, right? So I, I still do a lot of work around um, its self-worth. And what I notice when I keep peeling back the layers, I have, you know, a lot of things come down right to false belief. I have this weird false belief. I know it's bullshit in my head but for some reason I'm still hanging on to it. So I'm working through it is that to have that level of, you know, success, you know, public figure type status where it's instead of me making millions, it's tens of millions, hundreds of millions that you have to do the work. Like my mom did. You have to work 14 hours a day, seven days a week and be miserable. That's still stuck in there, Rob. Oh, I got it. So you, so you have to overcome the, the past programming and the beliefs that are in there. That's I, you got to interrupt that pattern. I got it. Yep, mm-hmm. I got it. I got it. What do people never ask you, but you wish they did? I wish people asked more about how I was able to survive through that level of abuse and come out to be the person I am today. That's great. That's great because they hear the this story, but they don't know really how you were able to just navigate your way through it. I think a lot of people and all the hundreds of times I've been interviewed, even by people who are, you know, well-seasoned TV journalists, they're afraid because my story is so, you know, it, it's a lifetime movie type story, right? And, and it's a sensitive subject matter. And so a lot of people are afraid to kind of dig in there, you know, because they don't want to be perceived as being insensitive or maybe it makes them uncomfortable. I think that's why I don't get asked more detailed questions on it. Mm, I love that. That's that's a, actually a really good lesson for uh, people like me. What book have you reread the most? The Big Leap. 
Mm. What's your guilty pleasure? Reality TV. It's really bad. Like I have a serious problem. <laughs> which which one? All of it, Be- Rob. It's bad. Be- Beverly Hills? <laughs> is that the one? It's the Housewives. But yeah. for my true favorite, you guys, is 90 Day Fiance. Oh my God. I'm obsessed with it. So good. Uh, you know what? I'm going to put that on my list for uh, airplane watching. Oh, That's perfect. you'll die. It's just, it's just hysterical. I, you know what I like about reality TV? It's just not so serious. And it's something that I can like give my brain that tends to overthink. Just, just a break. And I love laughing too. So there's that. That's awesome. If you had to give a TED Talk on nothing that you're known for or nothing that you speak about, and it could really be about anything that you like or anything that you have a passion for, what would it be on? I would love to give a TED Talk on really getting into why we're so afraid of truly loving ourselves and embracing that and shouting it from the rooftops. Like, what the hell has happened in our, you know, centuries or in our society that's conditioned to us that it's like, it's kind of a bad thing and you're you're kind of a gross, okay. egotistical person to really, really embrace loving the shit out of yourself. I love that. All right, we're going to wrap up with the last question. We're going to change things up. What one question would you like to ask me? Ooh, I love that. You know what I'd love to know, Rob? What, I mean, I know your, you know, I know your, your background to mutual friends, plus I've also, you know, followed you on Instagram. I would love to know why you felt so drawn to having a podcast because your background doesn't, you know, create a a straight line there, right? The answer is that I had spent so many years uh, doing the opposite, working my ass off, focused on work and uh, to the exclusion of really looking at the other areas of my life. And like you, once I stepped into that world, I became an evangelist for it. And I really wanted to talk to people like you about how they did it because I, I, I know that the legacy that I want to leave before I leave this planet is I want to be able to help people to look at the other side of their life and step more into fulfillment. And it, it's a very easy platform to be able to do it. So it just, it, it just seemed like a no-brainer to me. Plus, you have a really good voice. Oh, well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. This has been a really, really, it's been a treat. I know, you know, for the people that are listening, they can hear lots of little voices in the background. And if we haven't said it, um, there, it, Tiffany did the best that she could. She's speaking in Hawaii today and she took the time from her busy schedule to um, jump into a business center so that we can do this. So uh, forgive the audio, but the content was amazing. And so I'm super grateful that you took the time to do this. You know what? That's part of being an entrepreneur, right? It's being resourceful and figuring it out. And perfect audio isn't really what's important here. What's important here is, you know, the message, the connection, and that, you know, you guys really got something out of it. That's what really matters. You got it. Do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening? Yeah, absolutely. What I'd love for you guys to do, if you loved, you know, what Rob and I spoke about, you got something out of it, take a quick screenshot and share, you know, share the show on Instagram and tag me at Project Me with Tiffany. Obviously tag Rob too. Come over and, and say hi to me. I spend two hours every single day in my DMs. That's part of my way of connecting with the, with my audience. 
with you guys and getting to know you. After all, you know, it is a social mm-hmm. platform. So come and DM me, say hi, ask any follow-up questions, and you'll be surprised how quickly you get a response. I'd, I'd love to meet you. Awesome. Tiffany, thank you so much and enjoy beautiful Maui. Thank you. I will. The weather's perfect here. So I'm going to go and do a beach walk and then get ready for my talk. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.